Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Greg Howard. Greg is author of the middle-grade novel, The Visitors, and we're going to be talking about that book as well as his own favorite kids' book, The Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo. Uh, But before we get to all that, I have a very important announcement. After this podcast today, the one you're listening to right now, I'm going to be taking a very long hiatus from the Dream Gardens podcast. Uh, This is my 122nd podcast, and like so many before it, I enjoyed making it, and I think it's worth your time to listen to it. However, I've also got to the point in this podcast where I need to step back for a while and think about what I want to do going forward. Uh, Maybe it'll be this podcast with a few modifications. Maybe it'll be an entirely different podcast or something else. I really don't know, which is why I need the time to think. I am aiming for September as the month to start again or restart or whatever it is I end up doing, but it is by no means a date set in stone. But once I figured out what I want to do, I will let you know, both by Twitter and the podcast website, jlemott.com. In the meantime, If you want to contact me for any reason, please send me a request through my contact page at jlemont.com. You can also go on there to check out all the Dream Gardens podcasts. They're not going anywhere. Or if you want to know more about my own work as an author, you can go to my author website at jodylemont.com. And finally, if you like what you hear today, please link, share, comment, write a review, or subscribe. As always, please let me know what you think. My guest today is Greg Howard. Greg is author of such middle-grade books as The Whispers and Middle School's A Drag You Better Work. His latest middle-grade book is The Visitors, which was published just this past year. You can find more information about Greg at www.greghowardauthor.com. Thank you for joining me today, Greg. Well, thank you for having me, Jody. I really appreciate it. I want to start with The Visitors, which I did have a chance to read, and I think it's a really terrific book. Can you talk a little bit for readers who haven't had a chance to pick it up yet? What is this book about? Well, I tend to write from my own childhood experiences. That seems to be what always comes through my writing. But this one also was inspired uh, by where I grew up, which was in the low country of South Carolina. And uh, I was... I grew up right down the road from a deserted rice plantation and it was haunted. And we, me and my friends ride our bikes down there and have all kinds of adventures. So that's kind of where the setting came from. The story is set on a deserted rice plantation. um, That's kind of exactly like the one that I grew up down the road from. I used that as a model and it's the story of a 12 year old, excuse me, the ghost of a 12 year old boy who is stuck on this plantation. He doesn't know how long he's been there. He doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know what happened to him to cause him to be stuck there. All he knows knows is that he's stuck and the story uh, and he He's been there for about 50 years, so there's a little bit of a time difference, but it is set in modern times. And these living kids, as he calls them, show up one day. He calls them the visitors, and they start talking about a podcast they're working on, uh, trying to uncover a mystery of a missing boy um, from, from 50 years ago. And our narrator starts 
picking up names and things that are jogging his memory. And he believes if he can figure out what happened to him there, that he can move on from this place. And he enlists these living kids to help him do that. But we don't really know who the narrator is. We don't know if it's the lost boy. We don't know if it's another boy who had something to do with the disappearance. So it's kind of a big, big mystery going out through the whole, the whole book. Hmm. And was the supernatural aspect of the book always something that was when that you first got the the idea for the story? Yeah, when I thought about wanting to write something set on this particular plantation that I grew up down the road from, you know, it was haunted, and we believe we we had some haunted experiences there. And I wanted to try my hand at writing a ghost story, but uh, it had to be a ghost story of substance, and there had to be a good reason for it to be set on, uh, you know, a deserted rice plantation in South Carolina. And I wanted to kind of tackle those things head on, you know, the history of slavery and the uh, slanted history that some of us were taught in school that was not really what was going on. But yeah, I, I don't really normally lean into supernatural in my books, but this one, it just felt right for the story. And did you draw upon, like you said, this place was actually uh, haunted. And I, I have to say, I've never had any uh, sort of experience or, or place like that. Did you draw on like particular moments or memories uh, from that time? Absolutely. Um, n- not only is the the plantation in, in the book, you know, just like the one I, I grew up down the road from, but we had a few experiences there that inspired some of the events in this book. Uh, one of the characters, his name is Cousin Cornelius, and he's kind of ghost of an older enslaved gentleman and he's kind of like the guard guard dog so to speak of this place because he tries to keep people out and scare them off and the way i open with his character sitting on the front porch of one of the slave cabins in the slave village one of the cabins in the slave village and sitting there uh, smoking on his pipe and rocking back and forth that uh, was something that happened to me and my friends when we were riding our bike down there one day and it was, you know, we were looking for a scare or an adventure and we, we rode through the stone gates and first thing you see is the slave village and there's about a dozen cabins left uh, at this time. And the rocking chair on one of the cabins, there was a rocking chair on the porch and it was just swaying back and forth like it was rocking, but there was no wind or anything, you know? So it was very strange, but we kind of tried to talk ourselves out of it being weird. And we went a little further down um, the, the sandy driveway. And then we heard the bell at the slave chapel ringing and, we looked back and the rope was just dangling and the bell was ringing, but there was nobody there. So we got real scared, <laughs> turned our bikes around and hightailed it out of there. And as we were going back by that first cabin on the right, um, where we saw the rocking chair, there was a, a really elderly black gentleman sitting in that rocking chair, smoking a pipe, wearing overalls and that we did not see there before. So it you know it scared us to death so that's where the the that's one of the actual real moments that i kind of use in the book and helped me to form the character of cornelius it sounds like it's still a very vivid memory for you too oh it is and that place you know it's so weird because I, my memory is spotty now that i'm 56 <laughs> but but that place for some reason just really imprinted on my mind and i can i can describe it and smell it and see it in my mind and and write about it 
Now, you've talked in, in many places about the importance of uh, representation in fiction for LGBTQ youth. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that representation is so important? You know, like think about uh, this book uh, for young readers in particular. First and foremost, I, I want all kids to feel seen and represented in the stories. But I didn't have that when I was growing up. Um, I, when I was a young reader, there was nothing where I saw a young gay boy in a book, there was nothing in the school library or in our classroom libraries, anything like that. So I never saw anyone like me in books, on television, in the movies, you know, there was just no representation. And that made me feel very lonely. And like, there was something obviously wrong with me because there was nobody in the world out there like me. I felt, I honestly felt like I was the only little boy in the world that was attracted to other boys. So I want to write books um, where LGBTQ kids feel seen, they feel represented, they can look in my books and say, oh, that's me. And that they know that their stories matter and their stories have value. Uh, that's why it's very important to me um, to write these books for middle grade and young adult. You know, there's a lot of representation now in young adult, and that's great. I kind of moved towards the middle grade, um, you know, the younger readers, because there's not as much in that arena for them. So that's kind of the reason I write about um, LGBTQ kids. Is there part of the book you can share with us? I would love to. Um, let me see. This is from, I'll read a couple of pages from the second chapter, because it gives a good uh, description of a typical morning on Hollow Pines Plantation. That's the name of the plantation. And our narrator, it's kind of... It's from his perspective, and this is what we learn about the plantation and about his situation. It's one of the not-too-terribly-sad mornings at Hollow Pines, March or April maybe. I can't be sure which. An ocean-blue sky blankets the plantation from end to end. Big, fluffy clouds wafting by like giant gray and white sailboats out on a Saturday morning cruise. The low country sun carves sparkling diamonds out of sandy patches in the yard, and the jasmine-scented air almost makes hollow pines smell like a safe and peaceful place. Almost. I know there's a breeze because the sprawling, spidery limbs of the live oaks overhead wave bulky gobs of Spanish moss at me real slow and proper like, like tree beauty pageant consistence or some such. I can't actually feel the breeze anymore. That's one of the things I hate about being stuck here. We lost souls can't feel much of anything that nature has to offer. The sugar-like sand between our toes, the thick blades of grass tickling our ankles, the afternoon sun toasting on our cheeks, or the cool breezes in the fall and the warm breezes of spring like today. I can't even feel the sticky wet heat of South Carolina summers pooling under my armpits anymore, but I don't miss that too much. Back when I came to be stuck at Hollow Pines, none of the other lost souls explained the rules to me. I'm not sure how any of them know all the rules anyway. We just figure out things as we go along. All I know is what I can do and what I can't do. I keep a running list in my head, adding to it as new discoveries are made. Things like living folks can't see me unless I want them to. I try not to show myself too often. I don't want to give anybody a heart attack or anything. I can't feel the breeze on my face. Like I said, I hate that one. I can walk through walls and doors. That's a really cool one that TV shows and movies usually get right. I can pick up things, move things, throw things, open and slam doors. That one comes in handy when I'm trying to scare off some visitors. I can still smell the jasmine and the honeysuckle. Thank the good Lord above for that. The rules don't always make sense, like how animals can sense my presence long before live humans can, or how when I touch a living person, it feels amazing to me, but apparently 
has the opposite effect on them. Believe me, I've tried it. I thought about putting together a manual for the new souls who come to be lost at Hollow Pines, a welcome packet of sorts. But I was the last soul to get stuck here so far. That's kind of neat. It's it's kind of a guide for the reader to tell these are the rules uh, going forward for how things work, which is always important in creating a world. You know, what are the rules that that govern here? Yeah, it is. And it's something that my editor is always on me about. <laughs> You know, um, because I, 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 I feel the rules within me and I know what they are, but she reminds me, you got to bring that out on the page. You got to let readers know what are the rules of this place. I'm wondering, this book has been out for a little while now, right? Um, so have you had a chance yet to get any feedback yet, readers or anybody like that about, uh, well, just any sort of feedback on the book? Uh, yes. And, you know, I was very nervous about this book going out because it deals with some heavy topics, especially heavy topics is it within the middle grade world, uh, things you don't usually read about in middle grade books. It deals with self-harm. It deals with um, slavery. It deals with physical abuse within a family, um, bullying. And, I, you know, obviously these are very heavy issues, but I try always to make it very accessible for young readers, even though I know people from 10 to, you know, 100 are reading my books um, because adults seem to like them too. But it, it always, you, you always have to be accessible to the kids. That's who you have to write for. And uh, so I, I try to, to do all I could to give those things the kind of respect they deserve. I try to explain in my author's note why I wrote about those things. And fortunately, there hasn't been um, any negative that, that I've seen, you know, because sometimes, believe me, people will let you know if they have a negative opinion of your book. <laughs> but no, the, the reader responses have been very positive. I do know that the book is already being challenged um, in some school districts, just like uh, some of my other books have been challenged. And that, that that saddens me because, you know, when you take these books off the shelves, it's like you're just erasing those kids in the school. The kids that are like the kids that are like the ones represented in the book, you're just telling them that their stories don't matter. So I find that very, very discouraging. Yes, it's it's just, I mean, these are the uh, books that kids need and just taking them away. And I, I was thinking, I mean, there, there aren't really any topics that you can't deal with middle grade. It's how it's the all in how you do it and how you tell your stories right. to the age group you're trying and to my, tell. And my yeah. editor always says, I, you know, I might ask her, can I talk about that? Can I write about that? She said, it is all about the execution. <laughs> it's just all about the execution. But my motto has always been, you know, even though there's some tough topics in my books, uh, I've always believed that if kids are living it, I need to write about it. And I know kids are living um, with some very heavy issues in their day-to-day -day lives. And are there other books that you're working on that uh, we can look forward to as well? Yeah, I have a few things in the works. Um, my uh, first middle grade book, The Whispers, is is being made into a film. So I'm on, I'm in the early stages of um, pre-production with the, the studio on that, which is very exciting. Middle School's a Drag, You Better Work. Probably my most challenged book. I don't know why, because it's just a cute little middle grade story. Mm -hmm. um, uh, probably because there's a 13-year-old aspiring drag queen in it. Um, but that book is being made into a, a television show by the makers of Harry Potter. So I'm very excited about that. And as far as a new work, I am working on a new, uh, new uh, time travel novel for middle grade uh, readers. And after I wrote The Visitors, it was a very hard book to write. It was the hardest book I've ever written for many different reasons. It's a complicated story. It spans time, you know, different uh, time frames. 
Uh, I said I was never going to write another book that complicated. And then what do I do? I start writing a time travel novel. <laughs> so I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. I think uh, there's a book you really have to figure out the rules ahead of time, too. Oh, yeah. I had to have, I had to create a whole timeline. I found an app to create a timeline. So I remember what, what's going on when. Uh, now, the book for uh, young readers that uh, you said was one of your own particular uh, favorite books was uh, our recent book, uh, The Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo. This is actually uh, published in uh, 2021. Um, and for readers who haven't had a chance to uh, read this uh, this particular book yet, since it's so recent, uh, can you talk a little bit about what this book is? You know, I, I, let me, I'll back up and say, I mean, I know you're a big fan of Kate's. Um, I, of course, have known of who Kate Camillo is my most of my since she's been writing, you know, but I honestly had never read one of her books. And I know they're huge. I know they're wonderful, but I never had. And you know what made me read this one was I don't know if you've read These Precious Days by Ann Patchett. Um, It's a book of essays and Ann owns a local bookstore here. And of course, she's a celebrated author herself of the Dutch House and Commonwealth, many great books. But she devotes a whole essay in her new book, uh, These Precious Days, to Kate Camillo, talking about how wonderful Kate's writing is and how wonderful her books are. And I was like, okay, well, I've got to I got to read it. So uh, I picked up the Beatrice Prophecy started reading it and not only the gorgeous writing, but the beautiful, beautiful illustrations by Sophie Blackall just really drew me in. It's the story of a girl who is found by these monks or a monk, father edict, brother edict, excuse me. And she's found in the goat pen of the demon goat (laughs) and Swelica. I love stuff like that, you know, and Swelica, the demon goat, they called her. Um, But she also doesn't know where she came from. She doesn't know who her people are. Only thing she remembers is her name, Beatrice. So that really connected me with the character in The Visitors, you know. And uh, we we find out that the king is after her because she could be the fulfillment of a prophecy that says he's going to be unseated um, by a girl. And that was the thing I love about it. Not only I say the illustrations and the writing, and I wonder if you felt this way too, Jody. It feels like something that was written 200 years ago. And I kind of love that about it. I don't mean to say it's not, you know, relevant or anything. I just mean it has that classic, almost ancient storytelling vibe uh, that you just don't see a lot today that I think from what I'm told, because it's the only one I've read that, that Kate is a master at. And from the names she chooses, like Enswelica for the goat and Granny Bibbs speak, you know, it's just these lovely, lovely uh, characters and names and journeys and adventures and she just captivated me with this book from page one. I just loved it. Yeah, it has this sort of, I'd call it a medievalish uh, kind of setting. And, and for me, it, f- it feels very much like another book of hers, uh, The Tale of Despero, um, which was a few years back. And it's 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 a very that's sort of very fictionalized sort of uh, medieval times. It's a very similar sort of thing. And there's certain appeal, and it's sort of it, it's not really a particular setting. It's not even supposed. To be, it's not even meant to be historical, but it's a sort of other. You know, it's familiar and yet it's 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 strange at the same time. Right. And what I love about it, too, uh, I strive for this in my book, my books, and I hope I, I hope I will master it as well as she has, even though, like you said, it's kind of got that medieval feel, although it's really of no particular place or no particular time. It's it's gorgeous for adults to read, but it's still very accessible and fun for kids to read. Um, she has great humor in it. 
it's it's just a very accessible story. She doesn't uh, write over the kids' heads at all. I think adults are, should just definitely go along for the ride on this one and read it with your child because I think it's just a beautiful book. This is a book full of all sorts of these interesting characters, and they all sort of have their own particular moment. I don't know if there was a particular uh, character uh, that really sort of drew you in more than uh, than any other. Well, it, it was Brother Edict, actually, the monk, who I just I just love that character. And she tells us so much about this character without saying too much about this character. I, I hope that makes sense because she doesn't go into a lot of detail about his backstory, but you get just enough uh, that you understand who he is. And he says things that help you to understand who he is. There's a couple of little passages I would love to read. And when, when I thought about what I wanted to read out of this book, both passages that I remember loving were Brother Edict. So one of them is uh, on page 148. And this is, again, from Brother Edict's narrative. He says, there was truly no place for him. The home of his childhood was long gone, and it had never been his home when he was a child. His mother had often said to him, do not anger your father. Try to do what he says. Try to be who he wants you to be. But he had not known how to do that, had he? He still did not know how to do that. He knew only how to be himself. And shouldn't home be a place where you're allowed to be yourself, loved as yourself? I just thought that was so beautiful. And like you said, even with that kind of medieval quality of the book, that feels so relevant to today. It's relevant to my experience uh, as a kid where I didn't feel like I could be myself in my home or, you know, and and be loved for who I was. And I, I talk to kids today and I know we've made a lot of progress, but there are still kids out there who this is really relevant for and that they don't feel safe or welcome or able to be themselves in their home. And it's also a story about finding those people. Uh, right, who, your who chosen you, family. Yeah, and surround them, and people will have your back, really. Right. And Brother Edith, he does find his chosen family. When he's at the, the monastery, he doesn't really connect with any of those people. But when he finds um, Beatrice, even the goat, <laughs> he learns to be a friend, and Jack Dory, and uh, Canuck, he finds his chosen family, and I really love that. And the other thing that really connected me with him is like, I don't always feel brave. And I know as a kid, I didn't always feel brave. And Brother Edict doesn't, through the first part of this book, feel very brave either. But then there's this passage that I love on page 191 at the beginning of chapter 43. And this, again, is from Brother Edict's uh, narrative. What does it mean to be brave? This was a question that Brother Edict asked himself as he walked through the dark woods with Jack Dory and Canuck and Answelica. To be brave is to not turn away. To be brave is to go forward. To be brave is to love. Brother Edict was not turning away. He was going forward, and he loved. This Brother Edict could do, did do, best of all. Still, he could not keep himself from trembling, and he could not stop the words of the prophecy from tumbling around in his mind. A girl child, unseat a king, great change. It was to him deeply unsettling and deeply moving to find that these words of his were true. And I just love that passage because he has such a great arc in this book. And this is at the point where he's trying to find his courage and he's trying to um, enter to play this kind of hero role. And I love how he talks about that he was not going to turn away and he was going forward and he was going to love, 
but still he cannot keep himself from trembling. And how real is that in our everyday lives that we want to be something, we want to be strong and brave. And, but on the inside, we're quaking in our boots, you know? <laughs> and, and, and the idea of words, cause this is also a story very much about, you know, how the power of words and the power of story to uh, change things. And, and even though it's said a long time ago and how, you know, still think about how words and stories can be very powerful and sometimes scary to people. Too, oh, I absolutely. Guess. Yes. Yeah. And it just, just, and, and, and so think of, uh, I think of Beatrice as a character who doesn't really have any, like she, any powers. It's really through her words, you know, that she makes changes. Right. And you know, those, those few lines I read at the end there, the actual prophecy that were just a few lines um, has a king just like scared to death and trying to hunt this kid down and, and get rid of her. So she doesn't unseat him because it's been said that she's the, the subject of this prophecy, but it's just like a little four line prophecy that has turned this king uh, in, into a scared and, and then aggressive and almost murderous kind of person. It's just, that goes to show you, you know, the power of words. Uh, but I, I should ask you, you said, you, you is this the first book you wrote, read by Kate DiCamillo? Yes. Or, and oh. now I would love for you to tell me which one I need to read next. <laughs> um, well, I will tell you my favorite book. That might be, <laughs> I mean, re, The Tale of Despero is very uh, similar. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would be uh, something I would uh, look into next. My own personal favorite uh, book is uh, The Mysterious Journey of Edward Tulane. Oh, I was going to consider okay. it my sort of unofficial biography, uh, you know, which I didn't, you know, when I read it, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of my story there. So oh, wow. those okay. two books. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely I, get them. Oh yeah, and and just anything else she she's you know I need to always, read the entire okay. Camillo canon is what I need to do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. According yeah. to you and Anne Patchett, I need to do that. Well, uh, Greg, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to me to talk to me both about uh, your own book, The Visitors, and also um, to about Kate D. Camillo. Uh, so, thank you for taking the time to talk to me about all of that today. Oh, it's been great, and I really hope to be back to talk to you about another Kate D. Camillo book in the future. <laughs> You can find more information about Greg Howard at www.greghowardauthor.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.